Welcome to Questions About Heaven, a podcast about giving Bible answers to our questions about the afterlife with God. Each week we seek to answer real-life questions with biblical answers about the life beyond this world. Now, here's your host, Brad Zockel. Good day to you. This is Brad Zockel, and I appreciate the fact that we're once again talking about the book of Revelation as we are in our podcast, Questions About Heaven. My name is Brad Zockel. I'm here in East Tennessee, and I'm with Azulon International Bible Institute. And the most important thing for us to talk about right now is not me, it's look at the Scripture. We've been going into Revelation chapter 1, and I want to be able to show you some very, very important things here that we can enjoy in this. And so what I want to do is I want to uh, share some things with you and uh, take a look in Revelation chapter 1 and take a look as we get going in the vision of Christ. What's this talking about now? We're talking about the truth of who Jesus really is. This passage is Revelation. It's the 66th book of the Bible. The Greek name is Apocalypsis, which means the unveiling. We've talked about this. Opening up and seeing the reality of what's inside. Open this book and see Jesus is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's more than a shepherd, more than a miracle worker, more than a teacher. On those things, he's brilliantly above and beyond all those teachers and all of those prophets of the past. Hebrews tells us all about that. Now we come to the vision that John is seeing. I'll remind you, John was there. John was a disciple. He saw Jesus all through his ministry. I mean, John was there. And uh, he had written about him, and he was there during the miracles and the teaching and the eating and the joking and the walking with Jesus. But Jesus veiled in the flesh was enough for John to be able to understand. Now, understand this in Matthew chapter 17, when Jesus gives glimpses of his glory, as like, or like I like to say, in the transfiguration of Matthew 17, the... Uh, splinters of his glory. He just showed a little bit, and it was enough to just completely bring Peter, James, and John down to their faces in glory. And that's just a glimpse. Now John is looking at Jesus, and as he sees him in his full glory in this vision, you see that John is absolutely stunned. So let's take a look at this passage, and as we're reading through Revelation, we're looking at this verse by verse, and I'm going here And I saw this, that Jesus has, verse 16 is where I start. Jesus has seven stars in his right hand and a sharp double-edged sword coming from his mouth. We're talking about that double-edged sword is not a literal one. He's not spewing knives coming out. He's talking about the power, double-edged sword, wherever it swings, it's going to cause destruction, but also protection for those that are behind him. And in here, he is here, he is looking in victory. He's moving seven stars in his right hand. We will talk about a little bit later. The right hand is the hand of strength. And in here, his son, his face was shining like the sun at full strength. And at the transfiguration in the gospels, it tells the same thing. You couldn't see anything more white. It's like it's looking directly into the sun. An amazingly, amazingly powerful vision here. And John says in verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. This reminds me of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 and 10. He sees things which actually sicken him. 
his body, his mortal body can't grasp these things when he's looking at the future and eternity because we know Daniel is a prophetic book leading us into Revelation. Same thing here. John is the same way. Falling like a dead man. Comatose. Jesus, continuing the verse, lays his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. What literally means stop being afraid. Continual sentence. Don't, don't, don't panic on this. I am the first and the last. In other words, John, I started this. I am going to finish it. You're seeing the whole story. And the living one. I was dead, but look, I'm alive forevermore and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Wow, what a passage here. What was John afraid of? Well, one of the main things was that he was going to die. Isaiah said this in Isaiah chapter 6, when he saw the throne of God and saw him there, saw the seraphim calling out as God is holy, the, Isaiah was stunned. Woe is me. I, I'm a, a dead man. I, I, listen, I'm a sinful man. I can't handle this. I have unclean lips. I know that this is going to be too much for me. John's the same way. But just as Isaiah was reassured, John is reassured. Jesus touches him with his right hand that same hand of power which could destroy, which could lead, which could change history, touches in comfort, and he says, don't be afraid. Isn't that powerful? You don't have any reason to be afraid. Listen, I want to tell you something, John. You're worried about death. I am the living one. This is a powerful, powerful phrase here. And I look at this because um, I realize what this is saying. This term, as I see it, New American Standard and other ones, the CSB version, will use this phrase, I am the living one. If you have a King James Version, for example, it would say, I am he that lives, but the term specifically is, I am the living one. You know why that's so powerful? That is a, an exact phrase to describe God. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. Joshua chapter 3 and verse 10, for example, God is the quote, living one. Psalm 84 and verse 2, God is the, and I quote, living one. Matter of fact, if you go to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16, and Jesus is talking with the disciples, what do people say about me? What do they say, who they say I am? And then he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says this, remember this, listen, you are the Christ, the son of the living one. You're the son of the living one. He's using that same phrase. Well, when you think about it, this is what Jesus keeps saying all the time. He talks about in, at the festival, the water of life that he gives and only. John chapter 4, he talks to the Samaritan woman. I'm giving you eternal water, this water. We see water of life in Revelation, and it's attached to what Jesus can bring. We look in John 14, 6. What does Jesus himself say? I am the life. John himself has already attested to this in John chapter 1 and verse 4. In him was Zoe, life. He was there. He was giving life, and he does give life, all right? He that believeth in me shall never die, all right? And we, we see all of these promises here. Why? Because he's the living one, all right? He is the one that is uh, giving this the same phrase, this title from God, I am the living one. I find this most powerful. 
Dostoevsky, if you remember your writing from college, you remember your courses from college, and the Russian writer, considered one of the greatest writers in Russian history, Dostoevsky, you might not know this, 1849, he was found guilty of insurrection. And in that uh, time that he was uh, found guilty, the government took him up and had him tied up, and a group that was with him were going to be shot, taken to the firing squad. It was fake. It was a hoax, just to scare them because of his writings. And he was tied up the next to be shot, and as the first three were put up against the poles and about to be shot, then there was a, a, a staged thing. Someone comes in, offers them the reprieve. The government is so kind, and you're let free. Well, Dostoevsky faced death, and it changed his life. He suddenly started realizing the preciousness of life, and we have every reason to believe that he became a Christian. From his writings, we see this. But he, he, he wrote and he talked about, when I was in those final days, I realized how much of my life had been so frivolous, how important it is to look at life. But you will see this. The facing of death changed Dostoevsky, and it changes us. We constantly are in fear of leaving this life, aren't we? You know, even in my household, we had two dear relatives that have uh, faced and, and have gone into eternity, both believers, but it's still hard for us in missing them. And even one was at, just at the cusp of Christmas time. It's a very sad time for us, you know, as we were coming into the holidays on two days before Christmas, and then we lost my dear uh, father-in-law. Uh, and, and we just really, really see death as constantly the curse of mankind, Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 22 says, The whole creation, all things, are just groaning like a woman in labor for the freedom from all of this. And that will come because we see this, that the living one is making life available here to us. I find this also fascinating in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. It says, I was dead and I'm now alive. And the Bible scholar John MacArthur says this, do you know what that Greek passage is saying? I, and you find the Greek construction of that word, I became dead. It sounds like I took on the robe of death. I took it. You know, I wasn't overcome by Romans or Jewish thoughts and insurrectionists uh, that would not have my uh, following. I was not caught by surprise by a political upheaval. I chose death. I became dead. This exploded when I first understood this. I became dead. He chose this. As the Bible says, he took upon this, the form of a man, and then was willing to die for us. And We see this. God commended his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's part of the plan. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 4 through 7 say this. Now, this is what happened according to the scriptures, which I tell people, you could just say this, according to plan. Christ died according to the scriptures, according to plan. Then he rose again, and then he was seen by people according to plan. He was witnessed on it. This magnificent historical fact, it has a spiritual truth. We have life because of this, all right? We can find that. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, the living one here. We see this, I just find this amazing when we see that as 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 says that he was dead in the flesh, but he was alive in the spirit. 
God chose. I became dead. So you see, I'm in control, it says in this passage, in verse 18. I have the keys to, uh, to life, to heaven and hell. I have those keys of life and death. I have the keys of authority here. I'm in charge. I have made this decision, and this is the way it will be. Now, when you see this, this I'm, I want to read to you just a wonderful, wonderful passage in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 16. The book of Hebrews, as you know, is the book that tells us that Jesus is better. He is better. The, the whole It's like a college, uh, what'd you say, a thesis, all right? When I grade the college thesis of a student, I'm looking at what they're putting forth as the result of their studies. And in this, this is the way the book of Hebrews is. He's better than the forefathers. He's better than the law. He's better than the ceremonies. He's better than the angels. Jesus is better. That's really the theme of Hebrews. And then you go on here and listen to what it says. Jesus here was not, he was was not to be taken down by death, but he was able to overcome that by, listen to this, verse 16, the power of an endless life, by the power of an endless life. He was not held down. It's almost like you're talking about a balloon under great pressure, and it explodes. This The endless life exploded over the confinement of this flimsy thing called death by the power of an endless life. And you know something? It says in 1 John 3, 2, we shall be like him. And among all the things we can talk about that is the fact is we shall also live forever. Isn't it amazing? Every minute of every day, one writer said, Man, women, and child will, uh, will think about the fact that they are mortal. And we, I, I can't disagree with that. We think of our mortality. We want safety on the roads. We want to be careful. We eat the right foods. And we don't want to get into the wrong alleyway at, at, in a city. We're constantly worrying about our safety and the fact that we could be injured in death. Revelation 21, 4, there is no more death. There is no more death. Isn't that an amazing truth? Through the power of an endless life. He has overcome these things. I want you to think about that and rejoice. We have one that is called the living one, the one who cannot be put down. Hosea chapter 1 and verse 10, God is called the living one. Jesus himself in Revelation 1 and verse 18, he is the living one. We thank the Lord Jesus Christ, not only the resident, but the owner of heaven, the host of heaven that is welcoming us in that we may partake of that great present that great gift, that great joy of living forever. God bless you. Let's talk some more about Revelation in our next podcast. Thanks for joining us this week on Questions About Heaven with Brad Zockel of the Zulon International Bible Institute. Be sure to visit our website, zulon.org, to learn more about our Bible ministry. That's X-U-L-O-N.org. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. And keep an eye out for our upcoming ebook, Questions About Heaven. Thanks, God bless you, and have a great day.